Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. The title of the talk is Anything Can Happen at Any Time. One of the, the basic um, teachings is, um, is that of what are called the three characteristics of existence. We've mentioned them here from time to time, so central to, uh, to the Buddha's teaching. First is anicca, A-N-I-C-C-A, anicca, which means impermanence. Second is dukkha, or unsatisfactoriness, or suffering is sometimes translated as. There is dukkha, and the, and the understanding, the realization of how, how suffering is created in our own minds. And then the third is anatta, A-N-A-T-T-A, or the selfless nature of experience. Um, and both of the, the, the last two really come from a deeper and deeper um, understanding of anicca. That's one of the doorways through. Any, any one of those three is a doorway to awakening, to really understand it deeply. Uh, but for most people, anicca or impermanence, or for me, I shouldn't say most, but for many people, anicca is a doorway which you see clearly as you sit here. Have you noticed when you, when you sat down and uh, how many places the mind went to? I'm always reminded of that Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Within 40 minutes, how many different thoughts come and go, come and go? How many different sensations come and go? And as you're sitting here, there's a sound, there's the breath, there's a sensation, there's a thought, there's another thought, and then another thought, and the sound, and on and on, continual change of experience that you see in a very direct way when you pay attention to how things really are. It's one thing to know here, intellectually, oh yeah, things change. Yeah. It's a whole other one to look and see for yourself, embody this understanding where there you are looking, say, if you're on a retreat, day after day, every time you're sitting, how the continual flux and flow of experience, and it starts to, um, starts to have an impact on us. Because out of, that, out of that seeing of impermanence, you also then get more and more of an understanding, direct understanding of dukkha and anatta. Because if you see how experience is changing, then holding on to changing experience is a setup for suffering. As Joseph Goldstein, my uh, main uh, teacher for many years, uh, calls it rope burn where you're just holding on, you know, like when you're in, in, in the gym, you ever take gym and uh, PE and there you're going, you're climbing up the ropes and, or, some, or you're trying to climb up the ropes or you're on a, in a tug of war and, and there you are holding it tightly and the rope comes whizzing through your hands. It hurts, rope burn. That's a good mm, metaphor for dukkha, holding on to changing experience is going to be suffering. And as well, when you have a deeper understanding of impermanence, you see that this 
mind-body process called me is as well this changing flow of experience. There's nothing fixed or static to whom life is happening, but rather an expression of life manifesting as you. Uh, So each one can lead to the others, uh, but for most people, seeing more and more directly that truth of impermanence is um, a very uh, profound doorway to freedom. Because then when you see there's, what can I hold on to? You start to get little by little, not just here, but embodied, oh, the freedom comes in letting go of that which is changing and cannot be held on to. And the Buddha said to continually reflect on this truth, not just in the meditation practice when you're sitting, but in our life. If you can have an ongoing reflection on impermanence, it shifts your relationship to your experience. Because when things are going swimmingly, if you don't realize that, if there's not a a deep understanding of impermanence, there can easily be this idea of, wow, I finally got my life together. Cool, I've been working hard for this. Yeah. And then life comes and bops you on the head and says, oh yes, uh, let's wake up. It all changes. So um, you can be thrown for a loop in confusion, not realizing that as wonderful as things are, they're going to change. And the other side of the coin, when things are really hard and you're feeling you're stuck or feeling you're, um, you're, um, there's no way out and you're just heading in deeper and deeper in the muck, if you remember that things change, there's more of a, a willingness, an openness to be here for your life instead of fighting it or being caught up in fear or worry. So the Buddha said, as the ongoing reflection, wherever you are, whatever side of the, the, the sign curve of life, keep reflecting and remembering impermanence. It is uh, the great gift, the great reflection that levels it all. And then you start learning that it's not about getting to any one particular destination, but the idea of practice is learning to be here for the ride and appreciate and learn from, from all aspects and all uh, ends of the, the ups, all the ups and downs. And he also said to reflect daily, we've mentioned it here from time to time, the five daily reflections which are, I am of the nature to grow old. I am of the nature, this body is of the nature to become sick. This body is of the nature to die. Everything and everyone near and dear to me, I will be separated from. And I am the owner of my karma. My actions determine my happiness or unhappiness. He said, think about this every day. Not to bum yourself out, not to depress yourself. Oh, everything and everyone near and dear to me, I'll lose. You know, gosh, that sounds like a prescription for depression. 
But actually, no, quite the opposite, because that's, that is the story. And the more you somehow come to terms with it and feel at home with it, then you're not shocked and confused and you can um, appreciate your life while it's here with the people in your life and whatever your circumstances are. So he said, the daily reflections which are really opening up to impermanence, it is those uh, impermanence is also called one of the four mind changers, both in Tibetan practice but and also in Theravadan practice, where it w- wakes you up to really um, get on with deepening your, um, your Dharma understanding, reflecting on impermanence and death, that you're just here for a limited amount of time. Don't waste the time. Reflecting on the preciousness of being hu- born a human, how amazing it is, how uh, uh, un- indescribable the good the good karma of being born a human. And I, I won't go into this now. I've, I've done it in former times, but just I'll just mention them so you're not kept in suspense what, what the four are. Um, understanding karma, how action has effect, cause and effect, and uh, seeing what's called the defects of samsara that... Uh, where we think happiness lies uh, isn't all it's cracked up to be. Um, That there's a deeper kind of happiness. But once again, reflecting deeply on impermanence and the finite number of moments in your life um, wakes us up. So all of these are pointing to the power of seeing impermanence for ourselves. Now, it's one thing to see, oh yeah, everything changes. Sooner or later, it's going to change. It's quite another to have a radical experience of the instability of life and the the title that I'm calling this talk is uh, from um, uh, one of Joseph Goldstein's, I think, main contributions to uh, contemporary Dharma, which I first heard many a number of decades ago, and when it really hit me and has hit me again and again, uh, the power of it that anything can happen at any time. Anything can happen at any time. In any moment, your whole world can be turned upside down. And the, uh, what motivated me to, to share about this, there were a few strands that were happening. And while I was on retreat, I, I very much was uh, tuning into um, uh, impermanence as it pointed to uh, emptiness. Um, but what uh, really motivated me was um, uh, earlier this week, um, a very dear friend who I've known for uh, many years uh, got in touch with me and said that uh, he, he's on the East Coast. Uh, he said that um, his whole life was turned upside down. His uh, partner of 10 years inexplicably uh, decided to end the relationship um, and uh, cut off 
the bank account, um, broke the lease to their home, uh, and um, took the car. This is somebody who's been successful for, uh, you know, for a, a respected person who suddenly had um, a few hundred dollars, no car, no home, no relationship, and in a place where he didn't know a whole lot of people. Can you imagine that? Now, you might say, wow, that could never happen to me, thank goodness. But um, you don't know. Things like this, or maybe not quite like that particular script, but people all over the world, all over the world, have their lives turned upside down in a moment, whether it's a natural disaster we are living, by the way, I don't want to stir you up too much, but you know, I live about a mile from the Hayward Fault. And they say the big one is going to come sometime in the next 30 years. It might be probably like 25 years, or I remembered it was about 30 years, maybe five years ago. <clears throat> Natural disasters a tsunami, an earthquake. Ebola. Ebola. People far away who, uh, who can't get out. War. Think of how many people have had their lives turned upside down, whether it's Syria or Palestine or Sudan or you can name how many different countries there are. Paris, yes, that happened while I was sitting. I didn't know about it till afterwards, but Paris, yeah. How many people going about their lives and all of a sudden everything changes? Or some act of God, that's what it always says on the insurance policy. You know, you're not covered by an act of God. That's another way of saying anything can happen at any time. Billions. This is not just a, you know, a rare occurrence. We just, most of us, particularly those here or and those listening uh, uh, wherever you are. There's people who listen from uh, lots of different places. Um, chances are, particularly if you've been fortunate enough to, uh, to be held in the lap of the Dharma, uh, are you know, so um, privileged, we don't realize our privilege, uh, but billions of people on this earth, their lives and circumstances have changed in a moment. <clears throat> it's so fragile. It's so fragile. One story I'll share with you for myself, a couple of stories can share about how fragile things are. I wrote about this in, in uh, Awakening Joy, the book I, uh, I wrote. Um, when um, I, I have, I've only, I, only, um, I only see out of one eye since many years. And that one eye... Um, I had uh, surgery, cataract surgery, 
which is a great surgery. But there was a complication from the surgery, and um, I was down at uh, at Yucca Valley uh, teaching. This is in 1997. And uh, all of a sudden I noticed something strange. It was like a quarter of my the quadrant in my eye it was like a little shade that was getting that was pulled seemed to be i couldn't even tell if it was my imagination but it seemed that way maybe about 4 months after the operation and i called my friend from uh who's up in san francisco and i said do you, he's an ophthalmologist and i said does this mean anything do you think i should get anything checked out he said yeah I'd go right away, and he knew somebody down in Palm Springs, and I went to, uh, went to see her. She took me in, and she looked at inside, and she said, well, I'm sorry to tell you, you have a giant retinal tear. Those are the words that she used. It's, that's a particular, you know, condition, you have a giant retinal tear and um, in my one good eye and you can either stay down here for the next five weeks or um, and have the operation immediately uh, or take the next plane back and just cross your fingers. Don't lift anything heavy and don't, uh, uh, don't, don't run around too much. Don't jostle. Be very, very mindful as you walk. And I decided to, to, to go back, actually. And what, what happened was, the, the big teaching was as I drove back from that office to, uh, to Yucca Valley, that was where I saw my practice. It was like my mind was going like, oh my God, I could be blind. Just hands on the wheel, feel your breath. Oh my God! I could... <laughs> breathing in, breathing out. But what if I? Oh, hands feeling, breathing, and uh, I went up to the um, to San Francisco. Had the operation. They they were able to save my vision, my eye. But there was a little complication in that I couldn't really focus for the next, because they put this gel in that had to keep it held. And I couldn't, it was like seeing through Jacques Cousteau underworld for the next year. Um, And I thought that that was, I wanted to get, I said, isn't there something you can do? And And the doctor said, no, uh, there is, but I don't want to go in and mess it up, mess around because that's your only good eye. I could see enough, barely, barely to to get around, and but I couldn't read. I couldn't be by a computer at all. And finally, uh, there was a film. There was another little complication, a film that was going over my my lens, uh, the cataract replacement lens, and I said, hey, I'm going to go blind either way. Why don't we just go in? This is a year later. Because he didn't want to go in. He said, okay, that makes sense. And he went in, took out the gel, was able to replace it, and the third operation was the charm. And I've been good ever since. And what happened actually was I was so grateful. I hadn't realized how affected I was by it, but I was so grateful. And when I uh, got, was able to see clearly, I kept on focusing on gratitude. It's like, wow. Besides how blessed I was, oh, let's check out gratitude. And I kept on exploring. And the more you explore, the more you're mindful of a wholesome feeling the stronger it gets. And so I was, for about a year and a half, close to two years, riding this wave of gratitude, which then led to my writing about joy. That's what the book came out of. 
But for, uh, for many years now, I have often thought I am one-tenth a millimeter from my whole life changing. And we all are that close in our own unconscious way from everything being turned upside down. As uh, one teaching says, fortunes change quicker than the swish of a horse's tail. The fragility of life. So, how to, how to deal with it? You can reflect on this, like the Buddha said, reflect, it can change. As Joseph said, anything could happen at any time. This could lead to complete fear, anxiety, worry, paranoia, vigilance, going through your life saying, oh my God, anything could happen at any time. This is not the point of that reflection. And I know for myself, many people live in a state of high anxiety because their amygdala is scanning the horizon for what can go next. My mom, I've shared about my mom who, who passed away uh, last year, a uh, year and a half now, and uh, she was a worrier. And she said, her great line was, if you're not worrying, you're not putting in your time. Right? <laughs> and if she couldn't, she said, if I, if I can't think of anything to worry about, that's when I really get worried. You know? <laughs> it's like the shoe is going to drop you know, any moment. She, as part of her process, and I, I share it in, uh, in the, uh, uh, the gratitude practice, she did change over those years, and uh, if, you, if you haven't seen it, my mom is a YouTube star. Uh, if you go to Confessions of a Jewish Mother, and the subtitle is How My Son Ruined My Life, um, which is now up to, I think, 324,000 views, because she's very, very funny, where she stopped, where she just started to take on a gratitude practice, you can see it on, on the YouTube, and it shifted at the age of 89, it shifted. But for, uh, she would still get worried, but she had a much greater sense of humor about it the last few years. But anyway, I know, I come from a lineage of worriers. <laughs> I know worry. So, when our lives are turned upside down like that, if that should happen to you. And probably everybody in this room has one variation of a life-changing moment, a shocker, where you said, no, this, this couldn't happen to me. How many people can relate to that thought? Oh, I'm not alone. Okay, this couldn't happen to me. It does. Sooner or later, it happens to all of us. But how to use that as one of my inspirations, uh, who I've mentioned here before, Ramdas's guru and somebody very uh, important to me, Neem Karoli Baba, who said, Suffering is grace. Suffering is grace. You don't realize it, but there's gifts in our direct encounter with suffering. When our lives are turned upside down, how can we use it not to go further into paranoia and uh, and anxiety and, and worry and fear, but to help us wake up. Because that's the idea. 
That's why the Buddha said reflect on this every day. Because dukkha wakes us up. Suffering wakes us up. It shakes us out of our complacency. There's a a beautiful uh, book by Alan Watts. And the title says it all. The Wisdom of Insecurity. The Wisdom of Insecurity. You don't know. You just don't know. There's a, there's a great Zen master here who's, been, who's passed uh, many years now, Sun, Sun Sang, uh, Sun Sanim, uh, then, he, then he left the robe, Sung San, whose main teaching was, uh, don't know mind. Where did you come from? Don't know. He had a thick Korean accent, you know. What's the meaning of life? Don't know. What's going to happen next? Don't know. That was his main teaching. It left an impression. Don't know. He said, just keep don't know mind and you'll be fresh. You'll wake up in each moment. Don't know. It's like you're diving into space. Mm -hmm. So, suffering is grace. When our lives get turned upside down, how do we deal with it? How do we handle it? Well, one of the things, and again, this is seeing the gems in our, the unpredictability, the fragility in life. One of them is to see that um, somehow we survive. Unless it's the end, unless it's the last chapter, and sooner or later that will be as well. But for most, when we're going through a hard time, we might forget all the times that we've survived in the past. And what happened in that surviving in the past, you see that you can survive. We just kind of forget the past as this next one comes up. You might say, oh yeah, I survived all the other ones, but now there's this, you know. But we forget. And one thing in meeting crises like this, and you probably are familiar with the the Chinese character for crisis, as I understand it, is danger plus opportunity. That there's some amazing um, empowerments that come from going through our hard times and seeing we survive. I, I love the story of Julia Butterfly Hill, who is one of my inspirations and heroes. She was the uh, the tree hugger that went up to uh, and lived in uh, in a 200 or three hundred foot uh, tree up in uh, up in Humboldt County. The tree that she called Luna, and she went up. This is in nineteen ninety eight, I think it was ninety seven or ninety eight, just around the same time actually as my eyes, and uh, went up to help. It, protect the, uh, the trees, old growth trees from being logged. And she was going to go up for um, two weeks, she, she thought. Three at the max. And she didn't go up very well prepared. But she was so compelled to, uh, to, con- to, to stay. And she fell in love with this tree who, who became her teacher, which became her teacher. And she ended up staying up there for two years. And it happened to be the winter of El Nino, the big El Nino of 98, where storms, winds blowing, just she was holding on for dear life, this little platform up 300 feet up. And she would pray and she'd say, 
God, give me the strength to get through this ordeal. Let me know that I can survive this. And she'd make that deep prayer. And then another storm would come worse than the one that, that had just come. And she'd make it as, she's, as she got through. Then she'd say, please, let me know I have the strength to get through this. And then another storm would come. She, she said she did this about five times. She couldn't believe how intense the storms were. And each time she saw, oh, maybe I do have the strength to get through this. Maybe I don't have to keep on praying to be shown that I, that, to be shown that I have the strength. So she stopped praying to, to give, for God to give her proof that she could get through it because she was finding a power and a courage that she had no idea was in there as she went through those two years up there. Seeing the possibility, grace disguised as obstacles. This is, um, this is from a, a book that I love called How We Choose to Be Happy, where my friends Rick Foster and Greg Hicks uh, researched 300 plus certifiably happy people over a three-year period. And they weren't just born all with a happy disposition. And one story that talks about this transformation is my favorite story of Adele, who I, and I've gotten to know Rick and Greg, We're, we're friends now, and they say she's really an amazing being. But she showed early on that happy people aren't necessarily uh, living charmed lives. And in 1991, she experienced an unusually tragic set of losses. She says, this is her talking, in one horrible 24-month period, my life evaporated. I lost everything. My house burned down to the ground, is the Oakland fire, if you remember that, leaving me with nothing, no clothes, photos, furniture, no material reminder of my previous life. During that time, both of my parents died unexpectedly. My husband left me for a younger woman at the same time that my restaurant went bankrupt. My best friend moved to Seattle. Even the dog died. And she had to see, was she supposed to live or was this some kind of sign, just pack it in. And this is her continuing. I had nothing. I was so filled with grief that I thought maybe God was somehow preparing me to die Everything was gone. Maybe this was some monumental lesson in letting go and that I should let my life go too. But as my initial shock began to clear, a feeling that I wanted to live outweighed all of my thoughts about death. I began to see there was hope among the ashes. There was one big opportunity here. I had a clean slate. As long as I had to start over and create a whole new life, I was going to create a happy one. I wanted to feel whole. I was sure that I wanted to embrace everything in life, the good and the bad. I wanted a feeling of contentment and to feel rested and gentle. I wanted to feel unafraid, to feel I could handle anything that came my way. And I wanted to feel this way for the rest of my life. In spite of my grief, I could see that this all added up to happiness for a lifetime. She goes on to say that it it took her a few years to just digest all the loss, but she was committed to going for happiness and well-being. And Rick and Greg say, you go into into a room that she's in, and she's just lighting up the room. Anything can happen at any time. What do you do with that? And 
know the story of Ramdas, who is a, I've mentioned here a, a, a real key um, inspiration for me. Who wrote "Be Here Now" that changed my life and a lot of people's lives. Who, after having the gift of gab of communication for thirty plus years, mesmerizing crowds uh, with the Dharma, his own kind of Dharma, uh, had a stroke in 1997, same year actually, and uh, lost his ability to speak. Uh, Then gained it back very slowly, but for some time he had to process how his great gift had been taken from him. It's like Beethoven going deaf, who wrote his greatest music after going deaf. And Ramdas not only continues to teach, but, and I've known him for 40 years now, he has just gotten lighter and lighter and lighter. So inspiring. And I've spent, I mentioned I spent time with him last year. Just, he's turned into the being that he, that he always aspired to. Just uh, truly, uh, as he calls it, his practice is just being loving awareness. And the stroke had everything to do with it. It humbled him. It took away his identity and he saw something deeper. So it's not so much what's happening, it's our relationship to what's happening. How can, in in, uh, how we choose to be happy, one of the steps, one of the secrets that all these happy people uh, had in common is what uh, Rick and Greg called recasting, where you feel fully the pain and then you find meaning in it. My, my favorite quote from, uh, from the book is this guy Maurice Washington, who was uh, uh, a saxophone player from uh, New Orleans. And he said, and uh, at 87, he had a, um, a stroke also, and couldn't play his saxophone. And he says, and he's one of these bright lights, he said, without that saxophone in my mouth, I've learned to sing. So what do you do with it? Not if it hits the fan, but when it hits the fan, what do you do with it? And Partly it's coming to terms, this is part of life and acceptance. Feeling deep compassion. You know that I've shared with you here, just the, I'll share it again, just the simple self-compassion break that Kristen Neff and Chris, Chris Germer, who teach mindful self-compassion, share. This is whenever you're feeling a bit overwhelmed. Uh, for those who haven't done it before, just put your hand on your heart right now. You might close your eyes and say to yourself something like whatever variation, this is a moment of suffering or even just this is hard. Suffering is a part of life. May I hold my suffering with kindness and compassion. This is a moment of suffering. Suffering is part of life. May I hold my suffering with kindness and compassion. If you can learn to do that, remember to comfort yourself and hold yourself in in that way. A very powerful practice that suffering can teach you Suffering is what deepens compassion. In in that suffering is a part of life, you can call on or reflect on everybody in the world who's going through what you're going through now in one variation 
or another. So you're not so alone. And in that, there's a, a quality of surrender, not fighting and saying, why is this happening to me? Why will get you nowhere? But how can I open to it as, as wisely as possible? And in that surrender, which is what this is leading up to, surrender of the control that you never had in the first place, when you give up, you say, oh my God, I give up. You ever get to that point? Very profound moment. I give up is the ego saying, I don't know what's going on here. I'm going to let go and surrender. This ego is going to let go and surrender. And it opens you up to something greater than your little illusion of control. You call on something greater. You call on life, especially if you've practiced. You call on refuge in the Dharma. Refuge in what is life wanting to teach me here? Refuge in the Buddha right inside that says, oh, I have the capacity to meet this. Not that everything's going to work out, but that I can trust in my awareness that can meet the moment. It always has. And refuge in the Sangha that you can reach out and you don't have to do it alone. And as you then reflect on impermanence in another way, you see that impermanence is is not only about loss and bad news. It's about the fact that things change and that you will probably smile again. You will probably laugh again. You'll probably find some peace, peaceful moments again. Even though you might be changed in a dramatic way, it's, it doesn't have to be the end, the final defining of your journey, unless you're at the last moment of your journey. So to, to trust in the awareness, this is the great gift. I'll just end with this beautiful poem I love by Dana Falds, my favorite Dharma poet. She calls it, Every Step is Holy. The journey from the known to the unknown, from the unreal to the real, is rarely revealed in advance. The potholes, detours, false starts, and quick retreats are each honorable and even needed in the bigger scheme, in the forest that can't be seen between the trees. It took me years to realize that the very twists and turns and shadows I labeled problems were really sacred ground, grace disguised as obstacles. The whole path, a pilgrimage, mysteries bearing themselves before me all along the way. makes life kind of exciting. Instead of this obstacle course, it's this adventure. And to see that you get just the curriculum that you need, if you hold it like that, how can you help but wake up? So, hmm, I'm sorry that there's not time for conversation or questions, I can hang around if, uh, if people have anything they want to discuss about it. But uh, let's just close with a brief loving kindness now. Mm. And just uh, as we start the loving kindness, I invite you to reflect on 
whatever moment you got in touch with when your life took a dramatic turn, just a, what seemed like a detour or a pothole that led to grace, that led to a deeper understanding perhaps of compassion or wisdom. that you wouldn't have learned without it. Grace disguised as obstacles. Just keeping that in mind the next time, the next obstacle or seeming obstacle that arises. And see it as part of your adventure, your curriculum. And then send some kind thoughts to yourself. Because your own good heart is your greatest protection. May I open up to all the courage and goodness and kindness and wisdom inside. May I open up to all the happiness and goodness in my life as well as learn to hold all the challenges wisely. May I know true inner peace and share my love well. And then to extend that to all beings, right from your own center and heart and from this room, extending out to all beings, may all find inner peace. May all wake up to their courage and wisdom and love. May all know the highest happiness. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.